Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The CV CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And today's episode is brought to you by the powerful new podcast series, To War and Back. I'm the host of this six-episode series, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I traveled across the country and introduced you to three incredible combat vets. Their stories are shocking, amazing, and inspirational all at the same time. They survived things like deadly combat and helicopter crashes traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, thoughts of suicide, depression, anxiety, and a military hospital that kept one of them in a drug-induced haze for years. To give you an example, here's just a little clip. There is no greater feeling than that of knowing that you're going outbound to you know, either protect the people that can't protect themselves or that you're going out to support our Marines or the boots on the ground. The people who serve in the military, it's a dangerous business. From my experience in Sauter City, there was a hell of a lot more getting shot at than there was shooting back. We were just slinging lead, man, and rockets and tanks, and the boys were just crushing anyone that came within arm's reach. They were literally that close. And in the moment, right before the helicopter crashed, people ask me all the time, like, oh, what'd you do? Did you pray? I almost went right back into, like, brain mode, and then we hit the ground. Now, when you hear what these veterans are up to today, it's nothing short of miraculous. They're winning awards. They're climbing mountains. They're preaching to the choir about the life-saving benefits of cannabis and CBD. And they're making a difference in the lives of veterans every day. And so please, I encourage you to check out To War and Back. You can find all six episodes at radio.com. And you can also find To War and Back everywhere you find podcasts. Now, today we're going to take a look at an issue that seems to be everywhere in the news lately. And I'm talking about racism. It seems that we're reporting on it, or we're discussing it, or we're seemingly finding it just about everywhere. I mean, just listen to the sound bites from the news and you can't get away from it. I did not believe his original tweet was racist. When I hear the statements that they've made, 
And in one case, you have somebody that comes from Somalia, which is a failed government, a failed state, hates Israel, hates Jews, hates Jews. Maybe the president just feels comfortable stoking racial divisions in this country. I'm trying to fight on their behalf, trying to make sure that they have a voice here. They're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. We're not going to go and we're not going to be a socialist country. At the same time, I'm dealing with the biggest bully I've ever had to deal with in my lifetime. But beyond the media sound bites and President Trump's Twitter fights, racism has shown up within the ranks of our military. Take, for instance, the case of domestic terrorist suspect, the Coast Guard Lieutenant Christopher Paul Hassan, who was arrested in February of 2019 after federal investigators uncovered a plot to unleash violence and a cache of weapons with thousands of rounds of ammo in his Maryland home. The sheer number and force of the weapons that were recovered from Mr. Hassan's residence in this case, coupled with the disturbing nature of his writings, appear to reflect a very significant threat to the safety of our community According to court documents, investigators found a list of people he wanted to kill, including Senator Nancy Pelosi and TV host Joe Scarborough. And in Hassan's writings, they discovered statements like, I am dreaming of a way to kill almost every last person on Earth. And in a letter investigators found, the man who is obsessed with neo-Nazi and neo-fascist views wrote, please guide my hate to make a lasting impression on this world. So is racism still a problem within the DNA of our country? And for those of us that have served in the military, unified, under one flag, wearing one color, is it really a problem within our ranks? So to have a deeper discussion about this, I turn to an expert. My name is Margaret Stock. I'm an attorney at Cascadia Cross-Border Law Group in Anchorage, Alaska, and a retired lieutenant colonel in the military police in the Army Reserve. How are you, Margaret? I'm doing great. How are you? Really good. And uh, I, I wanted to kind of just read from this article here in time to kind of establish where we are and then begin a couple questions with you, because I, I, I liked what you had to say, and, and, and I think you shine a light on this. So um, let's get to it. Abigail Adams wrote in Time magazine, civil rights advocates say the recent arrest of a Coast Guard lieutenant charged with planning a massive domestic terrorist attack show that the military has allowed a problem with white nationalism to fester in its ranks. Since 2017, branches of the U.S. military have boosted background checks on immigrant recruits, changing the naturalization process, and adding security screenings, discharging hundreds who had been recruited specifically for valuable foreign language and medical skills. And at the same time, advocates charge that the military officials have failed to take effective action to root out enlistees who support white nationalism, white supremacy. And they point to the case of the Coast Guard officer, Christopher Paul Hassan, as a notable example. Lieutenant Colonel Margaret Strzok, first, tell me about this problem that you see as you see it within the military ranks. Well, in the past, every recruit who enlisted had to go through background checks, and that's always been true. So if you want to sign an enlistment contract with the military, you have to go in to see your recruiter. You have to submit fingerprints, and the recruiter's required to check your criminal record and so forth. And that's all that's been done across the board for all recruits. What's new is that in recent years, the Department of Defense is requiring immigrants who enter the military to go through extreme vetting, even if they lived in the U.S. their almost their entire life, even if they're from a 
benign country that has no problems. You know, let's say they're from Canada and they were born in Canada when they were two years old and have lived in the U.S. ever since. Anybody who is a foreigner entering the military now has to undergo super-duper background checks that they don't require of anybody else in the military. And they've been discharging immigrants from the military at very high rates for having foreign ties because the guidelines for these background checks tell the investigators that people are not suitable for military service if they have foreign ties. Now, I want to pause on that for a minute because it should be obvious that all immigrants have foreign ties. So if the Department of Defense is screening for foreign ties and kicking people out of the military and canceling their contracts for having foreign ties, you'll see a very high discharge rate among immigrants because they all have foreign ties. And that's, in fact, what we're seeing. Um, they're not doing the same kind of extreme betting on native-born Americans, although they recently announced that if the native-born Americans have foreign ties, they're going to start doing extreme, more extreme betting on them. So really what's happening is the Department of Defense is not paying a whole lot of attention to background checks on people that have ties to, say, white supremacist groups. They don't have any process for screening for that other than the normal enlistment process. They're paying a heightened level of attention to anybody, though, who has connections with foreigners, even if the connections are completely benign. Okay, to that, in defense of the military or to just challenge the other side of the coin here, wouldn't it make sense, though, for the military to do extreme vetting for people from the nations of Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Saudi Arabia? I mean, things like that. I mean, don't we want to ensure that ISIS and members of Taliban aren't trying to circumvent our recruitment process? Oh, absolutely. But they don't circumvent our recruitment process just through people born in those countries. In fact, most of the ISIS recruits who've come into the military were native-born Americans who were radicalized over the Internet. So screening purely for the fact that somebody was born in a foreign country doesn't make sense. You have to look at the individual and try to figure out whether this person's a threat. Now, what does right look like then? Um, Talk to me about uh, the vetting process then. Are you saying that native-born Americans... um, of any kind, you know, white, black, green, whatever we are, native-born Americans, there needs to be a test for white nationalism? Well, I don't know if you do it a test for white nationalism. It would be a test for having extremist views coming into the military with bad intentions. Um, But we also have to check for other things. Um, And a good example is the Charlottesville killer. He, He got into the Army before he went down to Charlottesville and killed the woman that he killed. Um, and he was apparently schizophrenic. He went in to see a recruiter. The recruiter apparently told him, you can't come into the Army if you're on medication for schizophrenia. Uh, the recruiter didn't make any note that this individual had come in and told him he was schizophrenic and inquired about enlisting. And he went away. He got off his medication. He came back. He managed to get into the Army. He felt, you know, dropped out of basic training five months later for being unsuitable for the military after the military had spent tens of thousands of dollars recruiting him. And then he went down to Charlottesville and participated in an extremist event and killed a woman. And he's now going to be spending a lot of time in jail. Um, We should be screening for any kind of extremist views. We should also be screening for mental health problems among the native-born population. And we shouldn't be giving a free pass to people just because they happen to be born in America on, on background checks. I am not opposed to screening immigrants either, but they need the screening needs to be sensible and it shouldn't be xenophobic. You know, we shouldn't be saying everybody born in a foreign country is inherently dangerous and has to go through extreme vetting. 
And we shouldn't be kicking people out who have valuable skills just because their parents are foreign or they're married to a foreigner. I mean, that makes no sense. And we don't kick Americans out of the military because they marry a German woman or an Italian man or something, you know. Right. It doesn't make any sense. So we should have fair, intelligent security screening. That's not what we have right now. With respect to the Charlottesville killer, if he didn't have mental health on his background, like if his own personal medical records didn't have any evidence that he was seeing a psychiatrist or a therapist, then wouldn't he, he have just fallen and slipped into the military ranks anyway? I mean, even with good vetting? I mean, if he didn't have it as a medical record before the military, how would the military then determine that he was... Well, Ill. from what I understand, there was a, plenty of evidence out there. It's just the recruiters didn't check it. And, you know, it, I don't want to blame recruiters because I know they're busy and they're really trying to make a quota and everything. But we should have a system for, you know, making sure. Apparently, everybody at his high school knew there was something wrong with him. And people knew he shouldn't be in the military who knew him. But they don't do a background check. You know, they don't go ask your family, you know, do do you think this guy should be in the military? They don't ask your high school guidance counselors. Do you think this guy should be in the military? You know, they don't, they just don't do things like that. Um, they're not checking social media for, you know, people born in America. Yeah. That was my next question is like, how else do you determine if somebody has racist or white nationalist or white supremacist viewpoints? I mean, you, arguably you just have to look at their Facebook page or what they're tweeting, right? Right. In many cases, it's pretty easy to do. You just go look at their Facebook page. Uh, people are open today about posting all sorts of things, and, you know, it's relatively easy to figure things out. But I think, you know, traditionally you could just ask people that knew, know them, you know, do you think this is a good person to be in the military? Um, and that's not actually, that's what DOD is not doing with the immigrants. They went and did that originally when they let all these people into the military. They talked to their friends and associates, and they, these folks cleared all that. But then later they're sending a contractor who doesn't know them to do a full-day investigation and to uncover, you know, quote, derogatory information like the fact that their parents are foreigners, which is something everybody knew all along, and it was in all the other background checks. Um, so it's almost a Kafka-esque, KGB-style background check that, you know, is aimed to fail people. They, DOD announced they intended to fail about 30% of the immigrants who have already enlisted in the military through this new background check. Interesting. So I guess to kind of sum it all up then, we really need to, in your opinion, focus on vetting and screening native-born Americans harder. And to do that, but, we should include some sort of test that in, that looks at their social media and looks at uh, their friends and their family relationships and really does like almost like a security clearance type background check before we bring them into basic training. How is that any different than years ago when we would, say, screen African-Americans or have them take uh, excessive tests to determine their eligibility for the military? I'm not talking about a test. I mean, everybody has to take the Armed Forces Vocational Aptitude Battery or the AFQT, as they call it, you know, the part that qualifies them in. I'm not talking about a test. I'm talking about background screening like any employer would do. Um, if I hire somebody at my law firm, I call them in for an interview, I ask some questions, I, you know check on their references and that sort of thing. The military is not doing that on native-born Americans. All right, so I wanted to find out a little bit more about how this looks. Are white supremacists and white nationalists infecting the ranks of the military? And it dawned on me. I have a colleague that is currently considering her path in the military, and Libby Howe, fellow reporter at ConnectingVets.com, joins us. Hi, Phil. How are you, Libby? I'm good. 
you know, I've been tracking it as you have been considering enlisting in the military or going into some branch of the military. Of course, you've already finished college at the great Virginia Tech, but you're considering a career path there. And you've been talking to recruiters. Tell me what they've said when you ask them, do they screen for white supremacy or any sort of hate group? So I did ask my recruiter. Yeah. Not because I was worried that he was going to look into my white supremacist background, but for this story. No, right, right, right. Right. Did ask him um, because I don't have a white supremacist background. No, you're a small Asian girl. You would probably not. Probably, but you never really know these days. (laughs) So did ask what type of investigating they do into social media profiles and his immediate answer was nothing no there's no time to do it there's too many recruits we do not look at social media profiles all right let's pause right there they don't look at a facebook background they don't run a check on the instagram they don't look at the twitter feed not from what this recruiter told me and i did ask i asked Hmm. are there any requirements for that in the in recruiting like across any branch is the army required in any way shape or form to look into social media backgrounds and he said nope he did say if he has a recruit that has expressed interest in one of the one of the fields that requ- would require a security clearance then maybe he'll dig a little deeper check the social media make sure he's not wasting his time whatever but for your garden variety recruit no wow so again, signals, intelligence, I mean, human intelligence, those kinds of jobs, yes, they might have to dig a little deeper because you're going to require a clearance. But for run-of-the-mill 11 Bravos, for grunts, it's just like, hey, height, weight, and then ASVAB scores, right? Right. And he did, the recruiter did ask, because it is kind of a suspicious question to get from one of your potential recruits, hey, are you going to look at my social media background? He did ask, why are you asking? And I said, well, at work, we're kind of working on this yeah. project with looking at white supremacy. And then he kind of explained like, well, of course, yeah, we scream for that. We totally, we catch that. We really don't want that in the army. Of course, there's no way that we could get, that a white supremacist could get through. And I said, okay, so that seems, are they walking around with signs on their forehead that say white supremacist? If you're not looking at their online presence and their social media presence, how are you finding people with these types of associations? And he said that you can kind of tell sometimes, sometimes there is there's a tattoo that might not mean something to someone, but in with them recruiting, they know that like a pit bull tattoo actually means something. It could just be a pit bull mm. or it could be a tie to a certain type of organization or a certain type of group. So mm. once I explained why I was asking about social media, he kind of changed his tune a little bit and explained that, no, we don't go through social media profiles, but of course we catch white supremacists, gang members, anything. We don't want any of that in the army and we keep it out. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So unless they are sporting, you know, the white supremacist tattoo on their forearm, the teardrop on their face, maybe. I mean, unless they're giving you obvious signs with some long sleeves and a buttoned lip, you could probably waltz through the enlistment process and seriously be having in your back pocket some serious hate. It seems like it. It definitely seems like that's completely possible. Right on. Well, I thank you for stepping out of your lane for a moment and sharing with me your personal experience. Libby Howe, you can find her writing at ConnectingVets.com. Thanks as always, Libs. Thanks, Bill. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
This boy isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.